Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Cheryl Fogo, who has recently released a film on John Ware, the legendary cowboy and rancher from Alberta's history. It's released through the National Film Board, and it's called John Ware Reclaimed. Now, Cheryl has been interested in John Ware for some time, and a few years ago she released a play called John Ware Reimagined. So we're going to talk about that, we're going to talk about the film, we're going to talk about John Ware, his impact today, and the things that he dealt with that we're still dealing with today. So let's just get straight to the interview. I really enjoyed the film. It was uh, a really interesting uh, a film to watch. I liked the the blending of different genres and things like that. And so uh, I'll get right to it. Uh, one of the things that I saw was you you when you in the film you said when you were growing up uh, you liked things like Gunsmoke and Bonanza and all of that. Um, so what was your first reaction when you went to the Glenbow and you saw that there was this uh, Black Canadian? Uh, cowboy and rancher named John Ware? Um, it was actually my brother who first saw the picture of John Ware at the Glenbow, came home and reported on it to me. <clears throat> so it probably would have been a couple of years later that I saw it. I didn't have the same element of surprise that he had because of our cowboy obsession and then seeing uh, you know, that there was a black cowboy who lived in our area, but I recall having a very similar sense of awe. I was awestruck. Uh, one th- common thing I, I do see in the film uh, is Canada likes to portray itself as, you know, we never had slavery, underground railroad. It was this wonderful utopia kind of thing. Um, do you feel like Canada portrays itself as a haven for Blacks despite its own slavery history. And is John Ware kind of part of the story that we like to tell to say, you know, we're we're not as bad as the United States, uh, for example? Yes, I think Canada has been selective in in the few small pieces of Black history that we have chosen to share as part of our national narrative. Most people in Canada have heard about the Underground Railroad, but most people in Canada don't know that people of African descent were enslaved here, just as we were in the United States. 
Uh, if you know anything about Western Canada's Black history, it usually is about John Ware, and that's because he was a successful person. And the assumption is made from there that he succeeded because there was no racism, when that is not true. Mm-hmm. He succeeded for a, a wide variety of reasons, and um, including despite the racism that he experienced. So that that part of what you said is true. I am very puzzled by the way we always want to compare ourselves to the United States. I don't understand that. What's the point of comparing yourself to another place? Mm-hmm. Um, why not just address what's here and and the and the things that have actually happened here and are continuing to happen here? I, I am off. I am really puzzled by why we. That that is our narrative. Well, we're not as bad as them. That's um, it. That's a foolhardy narrative. It, it's not helpful. Absolutely. Uh, one interesting thing I liked in the movie was you mentioned that John Ware's legacy is kind of trapped in him, in his mythology. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Well, he has been turned into a larger than life figure in a number of ways. One of the ways that I think is harmful is that he is is not really seen as human. Um, he is seen as a, a kind of a superhuman, or you know, uh, I don't know quite how to describe it. So his strength is exaggerated in places, and that on the surface looks like a compliment, but it actually isn't. It's never good to take someone outside of their humanity, and it's never good to portray them as having powers that are more animal-like than human. So that's one of the ways. Um, Another one of the ways that he's trapped in a mythology is that there's an assumption that he was a lone figure of blackness. And for that reason, you know, by, by erasing all the other black people who were here in his time, by ignoring the fact that we had black cowboy history in Alberta that included John Ware, but was not only John Ware. Um, He is singled out as a figure that has come to represent, as I said earlier, all of Alberta's black history. And that is, um, that is mythologizing. And uh, it's, it's not true. And therefore it's, doesn't help us understand who we are today. Uh, you mentioned in the in the movie a lot about John Ware's Cow Country. Has that book done more harm than good? I guess it it, it brings John Ware's story to more people, but then does it kind of bring in too much of that mythology you were talking about? Like I think he in the book it says he could lift a, a horse or a pony or something like that, like some like you said a superhuman uh, feat. So has it done more harm than good, or is it kind of a balance of there's good and bad to it? I would say it's a balance. I think it's very difficult difficult to quantify has it done more harm than good. I appreciate the existence of the book, and I appreciate Grant McEwen having been the person to write it, because Grant McEwen was a person of such stature in the province that the story got attention simply because it was Grant McEwen that was bringing it. I, I do think if Grant McEwen had not 
written about John Ware, there may be much less conversation about him today. I mean, it's always difficult to say, well, what would have happened if this hadn't happened? Um, however, a lot of the mythology around John Ware is centered in that book. So I would say that it is a balance of, of both um, harm done and good brought. Uh, has Canada kind of re, uh, rewritten its its race or uh, I guess racist history just in the fact that we have places like uh, John Ware Ridge, but it was under a very different name, you know, a few decades ago, and we got rid of the the offensive part of that name. But then that's not really brought up in in any of the things that we talk about with John Ware. So are we kind of erasing that, and then that's uh, adding to the narrative that well, there was no racism here for, for people like John Ware? That's a very complex question. So I think the fact that that name was attached, the, the, the offensive um, word was attached to places named for John Ware is about the racism that he experienced. And it is a testament to our ongoing racism both in the past and in the present. At the same time, it never should have been there. That, that never should have happened. So um, when we talk about the fact that, that it did happen, we're not, by removing that name from those places, we're not erasing history. We're honoring and centering John Ware. We are not honoring and centering a word that was offensive to him and his family and to every other right-thinking person. Um, so it, that, that's a very complex uh, question that you're asking, and it's why I deal with it in the film, but it was an agonizing decision to, to um, address that in the film, because again, the last thing in the world I want is to center that word in my conversations about John Ware. It has nothing to do with him. That was a name that was um, applied to us to attack and demean us. It, it, it has nothing to do with us. And it's all about the racist connotations of it and the racism that brought it into being. So that I even have to deal with it is, um, you know, is, is an example of how insidious racism is and how it's, it's on John Ware or it's on me to, um, to reckon with that, with that uh, word and that history. Uh, why don't we celebrate other Black Canadian pioneers and cowboys the way that we ce uh, celebrate uh, John Ware? We have a stamp, we have, you know, the Ridge, a whole bunch of places named for him. Uh, so why, do, why does he kind of the, the focus of, of uh, Black Canadian history, because like you mentioned, uh, Amber Valley, uh, I did an episode on that months ago, and it's got a fascinating history, but I've lived near Edmonton most of my life, and I never even knew Amber Valley was there until about a year ago. So why do we focus mm -hmm. so much on John Ware and kind of not so much on other parts of specifically Alberta's Black history? Well, that is a question that I get asked a lot, and it's a question that I, that I would put to you and put to other Albertans, other Canadians. 
why is it that we have a long and incredibly fascinating black history in this province that is much, much bigger than what any, anyone knows and we don't know about it? That is a question that we must reckon with right now. And we must all ask ourselves that question. Um, I've been doing my part, <laughs> you know, for 30 years. For 30 years, I've been uh, researching and sharing and telling these stories. So uh, it's a question I'm asking everybody that's listening right now. Absolutely. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Absolutely. Uh, tell me a bit about Mildred. One thing I liked about the film was it kind of also was a bit of a love story between these, these two people who had this wonderful connection. So what role did Mildred play in, in, the, in the story of John Ware? Mm, well, I appreciate that, you, um, that that part stood out for you. I think she was the completion of his happiness and his dream. I think he was able to achieve things in his cowboy and ranching life that would have been very satisfying for him. But I think he was, was probably lonely and uh, that he met Mildred, I'm sure seemed like uh, a stroke of great fortune. She was a very smart woman. She was very dignified and, you know, newspaper accounts describe her as, as cultured. And that makes sense to me because her family is easy to research. They were a very prominent family in Southern Ontario and very successful. So it makes sense to me that she, um, you know, she was a city girl from Toronto who came from a really successful black community that was uh, very ambitious and they were a, a, a mismatch in many ways. He did not like the city and she did not like the country. And uh, that, they, that they fell in love and that they were able to achieve what um, Nettie, their daughter, described as a very happy home is a testament to their love for each other. Um, it's, a, it's an aspect of John Ware's history that, I find very heartwarming as well. Uh, can you tell me a bit about the process and the inspiration behind your decision to make uh, John Ware reimagined and John Ware reclaimed? Mm -hmm. Yes, I had uh, been very interested in John Ware from, you know, starting out in childhood. And, and then when I realized my goal in life was to be a writer and that the story that I was most interested in was Black Western Canadian life. Obviously, John Ware figured into that. Um, you tie that into my cowboy obsession as a kid and my love of horses, and it, it makes sense. So I did have my John Ware file, but I was focusing on other stories that were less known 
I was writing about other figures from Alberta's Black history. And then in 2012, when the Stampede was having the 100th anniversary of its inception, I was chatting with Tundi Duwadu, who uh, was the artistic director of Africa Day. And he said, you know, maybe it's time to bust out that John Ware file and, and make sure that something about John Ware is included this year. That made sense to me. So I started working on a presentation for Black History Month that I called John Ware Reimagined. And that presentation was so warmly uh, received that I then decided to turn it into a play, John Ware Reimagined, which was produced in 2014 and 2017. And it was during that process of working on the play, which is a fiction, you know, it's an imagination. Mm -hmm. I realized it would be very important to have a companion piece that was fact-based because people were making the assumption that the dialogue that I had created between John and Mildred really happened. <laughs> and of course I, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the cabin. It was all, mm -hmm. that was all made up. So I wanted to, I wanted to have both. Uh, I, I really liked when I was watching it because when I first started watching, I was thinking I'd be watching a documentary, but you, you blend so many things together, the animation, archival photos, uh, you have actors who I believe were in the play reading their parts in the film, and then you're adding in your own recollections from your own life. Uh, so what made you decide to kind of go this route to blend all of these different genres and storytelling methods together for, for the film? Mm hmm well, yes, you're right. There are uh, several people who acted in the play, read and share anecdotes from John Ware's life. They're, those anecdotes aren't from the play. They're not in the play. They're, they're stories from his actual life. Um, I had realized early on that I have very, very few archival photos at my disposal to tell the story. There just aren't very many. And that I would need, you know, a film is a visual medium and that I would need other visual elements to tell the story. And I didn't want to have reenactments as such. I didn't want to have, you know, a cowboy. Um, I didn't want to have John Ware and John Quirk, the, the Millerville neighbors acting out, going into town and mm. having a few drinks and getting rowdy. I wanted... Um, I wanted those stories to be told directly from the words of the people who had told them or shared them or written them. And I wanted those, all of the elements to be connected to John Ware's life in some way, because I felt that even if the audience didn't know, for example, that when Janelle Cooper shares the story of, of John and Mildred's marriage that was printed in the, Calgary newspaper in 1892, she's sitting on the porch of the house that they were married in. Oh. When Lawrence Hill shares the anecdote about the fight that John Ware got in in Calgary when someone called him a racial slur, um, he's on the site of the where that hotel was, where that incident took place. And I felt that even though the audience may not know that, I wasn't, you know, I didn't say it anywhere, I didn't have it in the text. I felt that it would add a richness and it would help to uh, really recreate the spirit of his life. The animation I wanted because I have so little of Mildred and I wanted us to see her moving around and not just 
frozen in time. Um, the music was there because music is a part of everything I do. It's in every project I do. It's just, uh, you know, it's part of me. And it was part of the play. So I, I just wanted to, to thread all of the different elements of my love story with John Ware's story together. And I, I chose all of those elements very carefully. What was it like to visit where Ware's cabin had once been and, and kind of dig into the ground and dig into, into history and his history? Oh, that was a very powerful experience. I had been there many times before. I had gradually, um, you know, built up a relationship with the Fisher family who live on that property in Millerville now. And they were incredibly gracious when it came time to shoot the film to allow us to come there um, several times for the shoot and for the dig. Um, in addition, they're big, big Fred Whitfield fans. Fred Whitfield is the rodeo cowboy who is in the film as the presence of John Ware. So it was a bit of a win-win <laughs> in that regard. Um, I love that part of the world. I don't know if you've been able to spend much time down there, have you? Uh, that would be so down near Daysland, that area, I think. Um, I don't know where Daysland is. It's oh. near Millerville, Longview, Black Diamond. Oh, I used to live in High River. Yeah, I'm very familiar with, okay. uh, with that area. Yeah, yeah, beautiful part of the world. It is very much so. And then, of course, I also shot footage near Duchess Gem, north of Brooks, where John Ware's second ranch was. So we were in two different Southern, well, actually three different Southern Alberta <laughs> locations. There's the Vulcan Kirkcaldy area as well. <laughs> uh, what can we take from John Ware's life in our, like how, in what ways can we look to John Ware and then look to our own lives to, you know, uh, better ourselves or achieve things the way that John Ware did through adversity and what he had to deal with. So how can he kind of influence our own lives uh, today over a hundred years after his own death? I don't know how to answer that for others. I can only share what I take from his life and what I have been taking from his life for a long time. One is that we belong where we are, that it's, um, it is our, uh, it is our honor and privilege to be on this land. And we should care for it. He was a very careful steward of, of the land and of animals. I think I also take from his life that you can achieve your goals despite adversity if you surround yourself with good people and push away the bad. Uh, and when I say push away, I don't mean physically. I mean, um, don't let those people into your head. Um, I think I also take from his life that if you are focused on what you want to achieve and you spend some time working toward that every day, 
you will eventually see it come to fruition. So in, in many ways, I have modeled my career as a writer and a playwright and an author and a, and a historian on that focus. I have I've taken inspiration from many aspects of his life. He was a loving, funny, smart person who didn't take any garbage from anybody. And I think that's a pretty good model. Absolutely. Uh, and my last question is, so you did this for the National Film Board. Uh, when will people be able to, to watch it? Uh, how can they watch it? Uh, how can they get in touch with you if they want to know more about John Ware, reimagined and reclaimed, uh, all of that? Well, people in British Columbia can see it up until October 7th, I believe, when the Vancouver International Film Festival ends. Uh, people in Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba had the opportunity to see it through the Calgary International Film Festival, but it has sold out completely, sold out both the in-person screenings and the, it, it has exceeded the cap on, uh, on what they have for streaming. So as of right this moment when I'm speaking, unless something changes, we will now be looking toward community screenings in in the four Western provinces. So people can get in touch with the National Film Board if they wanna set up a screening in their neighborhood or their community. That's, um, that's something that the Film Board is very happy to do. We're rolling out our strategy for the rest of the country and people west of Ma or east of Manitoba will be able to see it early next year. And then eventually, of course, it will be on the nfb.ca website available to anyone in the world to see so we will get it to you i've been so touched by the response to it i'm so grateful to everyone who has enthusiastically embraced it and uh, you know helped it to sell out in, <laughs> in western canada um, and as far as i know there are still streamings available for people in bc it's a fantastic film i really uh, really enjoyed it uh, it was, I learned a lot uh, about uh, John Ware and just beyond that, like it, it's not just this is his life, you know, he, he was born on this day and bop, 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 and he died this day. It's, it's much more than, than that. And it's, it's very, very well done. I very much enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Cheryl. And if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at Craig at CanadaEHX.ca. You can also visit my website, just go to craig at canadaehx.ca. And if you want, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.